Welcome into episode 196 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott were about a month or so removed at this point from the Bruins being eliminated from Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, it's it's not going to get any easier as the summer goes along, but I do think it's at this point, the as, as summer approaches, we're going to start to flip the, the page to next season and Scott you tweeted earlier this week about just the specific dates for the Bruins and the draft and free agency and and rookie camps and all that good stuff but I do think that there's some a laundry list of potential questions from from listeners based off of last season and going forward that we're going to cover in this mailbag type of episode so Bridget and Scott how are you guys doing and looking forward to I guess the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs summer what's 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 new with you guys yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've transitioned into a little bit of a Celtics writer. I've been at their last two games. Uh, game game five did not go well. Thought, you know, man, I might never see a win at the Garden again. And then game seven, obviously, was awesome to be at. Uh, Jason Tatum setting records. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna keep watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, I you know, I know for TV ratings, Carolina versus Florida and Dallas versus Vegas probably isn't great, but you know, I'm interested no matter what. So I'll be watching. And obviously there's the there's the Bruce Cassidy storyline that still uh you know provides a little bit of a Bruins angle, local link there, you know. Um and you know, I think you're interested to see how far the Panthers go. They're still rolling, so yeah, I'll I'll be watching, but it doesn't have I can see, I can definitely see this final four not having a ton of appeal to kind of the masses. No, it's kind of crazy because it looked like it was really ramping up to be maybe one of the best playoffs that like we've seen in recent history. Like there were a lot of good teams that were coming in with momentum, like the Oilers and, um, you know, the Bruins, the Leafs, uh, teams that have kind of just been knocking at the door. Uh, and those teams are all out. So it's, it, you know, they, it, what a, what a turn of events to have an all Southern uh, final four going on right now. And yeah, not really one of the most, um, especially for our market in particular, not a lot of interest in like, or attention paid to any of those four teams in the, like the Northeast uh, markets here in New York. Uh, yeah, it's probably not ideal for their ratings and their money making, but, um, and even star power kind of lacking with those teams. If, if you really think about it, especially with uh, some guys hurt like Svechnikov and yeah, just not the most appealing, I guess you could say, obviously we're still going to watch. Um, and like Scott mentioned the whole Bruce Casty thing, pretty interesting um really the only connection left with the boston sports media market in the playoffs but um today we i mean we're going to be recording two episodes today so we have a mailbag because we're going to be doing that once a week um now that the season's over get your questions and comments a lot of people have been leaving comments on our youtube so if that's the easiest way for you guys to do it that's fine you can also tweet at us or in Scott, what's the email? I always forget. Skatepod at WEI.com. Just Skatepod, right? Yes. Okay. No, no, the. The. no, no, no. I don't know how you could possibly, possibly forget that. It's so basic. <laughs> because I always think it's the 
skate pod. <laughs> but no, it's not. That, that would trip no. me up too. But on Twitter, at the skate pod. Yes. So there is correct. a the on Twitter. Correct. So we're going to get to some of the questions that we have had over our last couple of episodes left in our comments and, and questions that we've been asked. So um kind of going to start chronologically here with end of the season stuff since that feels like we should wrap that up first. Um, so the very first question was, was it bad game planning for their opponent or not having an answer to the Panthers? Um, basically, the this was a YouTube comment that wanted to get to um, whether or not the coaching staff put in enough work to game plan for the Panthers um, ahead of the Bruins series. I think they did. I, I think the criticism would be that they were too a little too slow making adjustments. Like I, I think, I think the game plan going in was solid. I mean, they went up three to one. They were winning games without Berger and Krejci. Um, they had a clear special teams advantage, really for most of the series until maybe the last couple of games where it kind of evened out. So it seemed like they sort of had things fairly well buttoned up. But then you know I do think that they were. Uh, a little slow to to simplify their breakouts. That was something that probably should have happened earlier when they're having some troubles with that, with Florida's Ford check. Um, Montgomery really never made like a clear adjustment to, to dealing with the Ben and, and Kachuk and Kachuk line. Um, you know, they basically did shut down the Barkov line almost pretty much the entire series, but kind of never had an answer for Ben and Kachuk. And, um, I think that's a fair criticism is, you know, changing things quicker. And then I thought, you know, Florida's power play finally started to get some, some better looks as the series went on, which to an extent I think is, was a little bit inevitable because Florida's power play is too much talent to have gone over against, you know, any penalty kill for the whole series. But once they did start generating more, I thought the Bruins were a little slow to react, um, in terms of adjusting their penalty kill and, and neutralizing some of the things that the Panthers were doing. So to me, it's not, it's not that they didn't have a good game plan from the get go. It's that the in series adjustments as it went on were, were insufficient. I would say it was less about, and I agree with a lot of what, what Scott said. I mean, everything, honestly, but I, I would say it was more about a lack of, it wasn't a lack of adjusting for the opponent. It was, it was, the Bruins just didn't understand for whatever reason that their own, their own team in that series. And I think you saw it with Toronto too. There was just a lot of, there were some key additions for Boston. I know Toronto had like six players added at the deadline and Boston had, had three. And then, but it was really more than that. Cause then when Taylor Hall came back and Nick Felino, it was kind of like you're adding five guys. It was, it was totally different. And I just feel like the Bruins just didn't know exactly what they wanted their team to look like from a, personnel uh, standpoint with with different lines and whatnot and I think that's honestly kind of what ended up biting him in the ass more than anything else I, I do think that they were prepared for Florida the, the adjustments weren't made like Scott mentioned but I it wasn't because of a lack of pre-scouting I don't think I just think the Bruins just kind of didn't know what, what they wanted to be in that series from their personnel standpoint yeah, I, and I think the way that the, the comment was and the conversation that was being had in the comment section was kind of about the the pressure, the amount of pressure that Florida was able to put on the Bruins and were they um, prepared for that? Did they have a game plan that could counter 
that kind of physical pressure that the Panthers put on. Yeah. And that's where I think like adjusting the breakout was a little too slow where, you know, I think the Bruins going in probably thought, Hey, our, our defense and breakout game has held up really well against every four check all year. You know, we're not going to change anything to start, which is understandable. Um, but then as they started to have some issues, as their breakouts weren't clean, I thought, you know, I mean, you watch Florida play and like they're, they're playing their own zone and their breakouts is like against the Bruins and against the Leafs. It's like the most simple hockey you can possibly play. It's a lot of just flipping pucks out, just getting into the neutral zone and then battling for it. And it's like, it's, it's ugly. And like, that's not really ideally how you want to play. You want to have more controlled exits with possession but if you're under pressure and that's not happening cleanly, then I think you have to be willing to do what Florida has done, which is just, just get it out. Like just bank it off the glass, just flip it out into the neutral zone and, and try to go get it. And I thought the Bruins were really too hesitant. Like we're just too hesitant to do that. Like almost, I don't know if it's like a pride thing or it's like, no, like we break out with possession. That's what we do. That's what we're going to do. And I just think they stuck with it too long and had too many breakouts where uh, they didn't break out with possession because they turned it over instead. So, um, you know, sometimes you have to simplify, even if, even if you think you should be able to do better and should be able to play, you know, your usual game, if it's not happening, you got to adjust. I thought they were too slow to do that. I mean, I also felt like they were too slow to do that last year too with Carolina, but that was under Bruce Cassidy. So it's it's part of it for me is it's I don't, is is it part of just the DNA of some of these players as a group? I don't know because I because Montgomery and Cassidy have far different. I shouldn't say far different, but they, they're they're different, especially defensively. Bruce is more locked down, and and the Bruins struggled against Carolina's forecheck. They struggled against the Islanders' forecheck the year before. They've struggled against St. Louis's forecheck in nineteen. So the Bruins struggling against the four check and not being able to make those adjustments quick enough is this year. Yes. You can look at Jim Montgomery and say he, he's the man um, running the ship, but it happened in years past under, under a defensive minded coach as well, more defensive minded coach than Montgomery. So what you, what you were just talking about, Scott, I agree with, but I, it makes me question why is it happening under multiple different coaching res, uh, regimes with, and, and some with more of a, defensive mind uh, so I, I just don't know it might be is it the is it the personnel is it the players themselves I don't know I will switch to another question that um, I was just flipping through my notes too to like prepare for this one but um, I think there might be an obvious an obvious answer and then I want to try to give a less obvious obvious answer to this one which is what specific play was the single biggest mistake by the Bruins or a Bruin in round one so for me, the single biggest mistake was Allmark's turnover in overtime. Um, you know, kind of not, that might be what you're thinking with the obvious one. Um, but yeah, just, you know, like still hard to figure out what exactly was going on there. Like obviously, obviously miscommunication, but for Allmark to put that puck where he did, like right into the closest Panther, it was just like, how like how how do you make that play in that situation so that 
you know, and obviously because it leads to such a big goal, like you, you have a chance to eliminate them in five games, make that turnover. You literally just give away a game to make it a three, two series. And then Florida never loses momentum after that, really. Um, so that stands out to me. Yeah, I believe that's probably the obvious answer for everybody. Scott, just the one who had to mention it. I would say aside from that one, I would, I would point to, Hampus Lindholm clearing the puck over the glass by about 20 feet after they had a 5-4 lead uh, in the third period of game six. And you have a chance to close out that series then. And he just, with no no pressure on him, just clears the puck over the glass. And then I think it was Matthew Kachuk ties the game 5-5. And then next thing you know, it's 6-5 and game over. So it's a more it's a more subtle mistake. I don't think it's one that jumps to anybody's mind necessarily. It didn't even jump to my mind. But when Scott was answering it, I, I had to – to start playing back the series in my mind. And while there were a lot of turnovers by the Bruins in that series and, and a handful of them resulted in Florida goals, a lot of those, the Bruins were able to come back and at least tie the game after that, or maybe, maybe even win the game. But that Lindholm one stands out to me because they weren't able to recover from that. Once they uh, gave away the lead, Florida won the game six to five. And now it's, now it's 3-3 three, three and you go back to Boston for seven. So I guess that one, aside from the Allmark one, that one jumps out in my mind. Yeah, and so the Allmark one is, I think, the most obvious because I, I feel like when it happened, it was like, oh, no, that, you know, that's obviously not only is that such a glaring, horrible mistake, it's embarrassing. Um, I feel like it also changed the – almost changed the momentum of the series. Cause if you really think about it, the Bruins had the momentum at that point, you're like, Oh no, well, they just had a chance to, to end the series um, in game five. They didn't do it. Um, does it mess with all psyche? Does it mess with some of the ways they want to handle goaltending? Um, I think that it had like a ripple effect on the whole series, the way that that individual play that bang, bang, one, two seconds um, of, a lapse and a mistake was definitely, it, it definitely affected the series. Um, not just in the fact that it was extended, but in just a lot of other ways as well. And even at the time, I, I feel like I thought, Oh, wow, that was a bad one, but there's still two games left for the Bruins to win. And those two games uh, proved to be, you know, just, just as hard fought. And it wasn't, it wasn't like you were going to skate past those, but when, when your team is the best team in NHL history and you have a three, one series lead, you're thinking, all right, that was a really bad mistake, but still got two games to deal with this. And then that's just um, really was a huge turning point in the series was that one turnover, but to also bring um, a less obvious one, I would also go back to game five because any way they could have won game five was the critical game really. Um, so I think back to the very first period of game five um, when Bertuzzi made that horrible turnover um, and Anthony DeClaire scored and the Bruins went down one, nothing that was early in the game. Um, once again, that game goes to overtime. So if, if you don't make that mistake, probably a regulation win for the Bruins, obviously who knows how the game plays out after that things get played differently, obviously. Um, but if Bertuzzi doesn't make that mistake, the Bruins don't put themselves in a hole early um, and I think that game doesn't go to overtime, probably a regulation win and the Bruins are on to the next round. 
Yeah, and one other ripple effect from that Elmark mistake, and we we touched on it after Game Six, and like we never really got an answer. But you know, was that miscommunication? Like, did they blame Grizzlick for part of that for him not yelling out more or, or telling Elmark where to go with it? And is that part of the reason he came out of the lineup for Game Six, which turned out to be a mistake because Forbert and Clifton really struggled together in Game Six. So, yeah, just just another ripple effect off of that. And it also, you guys kind of alluded to it as well, but the, a lot of the reason the, the momentum changed after that play is also because, like, yes, tangibly they lost the game and now it's a 3-2 series lead and you're going back to Florida, but a lot of the narrative going into that series from the hockey world in general was, are the, are the, are the Bruins going to choke? find a way to choke this series away, the, 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 the most points in league history in a season, most wins, all that stuff, and that play in particular, it's not like they just lost the game in overtime. Like they lost it in a way they shot themselves in the foot. And that's, that's, and so it just, there was an aura about that play. It's like, okay, this team is going to find ways to lose now. And it was, it was a, they choked that game away. And now that narrative starts to build and pick up steam for the rest of the series. And that's another reason why the way that they lost that game was just pretty damning for them. And they couldn't recover, obviously. Yeah. Any other ones you can think of, or I, can I move on to the second part of this? No, go on to the second part. So the second part is what was the single biggest missed opportunity? And I'm talking about an individual play. Um, so is there a play in your mind that you can recall that was the single biggest missed opportunity for the Bruins to either put the series away or extend a lead at a point where, you know, it would have put the game out of reach, things like that. Brian, do you want to take the obvious one this time or want me to go first again? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. Uh, well, what Scott's alluding to is the the opportunity for Brad Marchand to end the series literally on a last-second breakaway uh, end of regulation game five. And, of course, of course, Bobrovsky makes a save. You go to overtime, you lose the game. That'll mark mistake doesn't happen if if Martian buries that. And for all for all the talk about how gritty Florida is and how how much they they just outman Boston in the series. And let's be honest, for a lot of the series they did, but but it's all it's all for naught if the Bruins find a way to steal a series in five games after not playing their best hockey. And that's exactly what would have happened had Martian found the back of the net there. So certainly that's the most obvious missed opportunity and I kind of dragged it on for a little bit longer so you guys could think of a less obvious one. Well, I want to push back on that though, because I said this at the time and I still believe this. There was if if he had a few more seconds, I think then I would call that the single biggest missed opportunity. But he had no time to make a move. He wasn't able to really have his best chance at a breakaway because I wasn't even sure if he was going to get that shot off in time. Like he was coming up to the crease he was coming up to his shooting position with pretty much no time left on the clock and obviously when you know you have that little time you're in your head you're it's you're not set up for success on a breakaway if you're wondering like do I even have time to make a move or two um I think that if say that happened with five seconds left that he got the shot off with five seconds left that'd be different but I was like a second or less that he got the shot off in. And I just think that Marshawn obviously has brought that up as something he that's going to haunt him. But that seems like, of course, would have been great. Would have been a great way to end the series, everything. But the, the ceiling would have caved in 
on the garden. But I don't see that as the single biggest mistake because of the timing of it. Um, well, real, real quick, though, I just want to clarify. So this question is missed opportunity, right? Not yeah. mistake. Oh, so, yeah. Sorry. Missed opportunity. So, so I don't see that yeah. as, as a missed opportunity. Be the biggest missed opportunity. I mean, he, is he, a missed opportunity. He definitely he definitely didn't have the luxury of a penalty shot where you have all the time in the world or, or a yeah. shootout shot. But I will say, and, and if he had more time and he knew that, maybe he would have done something different. All that said, though, he still got a really hard snapshot off that he scores on most of the time. So it, it was a, yeah. it was, it wasn't a blunder by him. It was a phenomenal save by Bobrovsky. It was, I mean, it's a missed opportunity in my mind. Yeah. And it's, it's not like you have to like shoot from just inside the blue line. Like he still, he still got a good shot off and, and had, had enough time. Like, yeah, he couldn't slow down and do, you know, a dipsy do, but like he got into the slot and got a good, good, really good look. And there was even like a rebound before the buzzer actually sounded that, um, I forget who the Panthers defenseman was, but it like ricocheted off him. And it was like, imagine if that, like, imagine if like Bobrovsky makes a save and then it goes off the defenseman and in. There probably wasn't enough time for that to happen, but like the rebound did pop out too before the the buzzer sounded. Um, the other one for me, so I, like, I guess, so I, I approach this question like similar to Brian as in terms of not necessarily like a, bad play or like someone screwing something up, but just exactly like missed opportunity as like you look at and you're like, man, if that's just like a little more this way, but game seven in overtime, Pasnak had a couple great chances and one of them, he beats Bobrovsky over the right arm and it hits the shaft of Bobrovsky's stick and goes wide. Like I don't, you know, Pasnak couldn't have really done anything different. It was a good shot. He had him beat. But so maybe, you know, less like missed opportunity in terms of like Pasternak missing it, but just in terms of like a game of interest type thing, just the, the pure, I think like, like goalies will try to tell you that, Hey, the, the top of our stick is part of our equipment. Like we, we have control over that. But in my mind, like, those saves are, are very lucky when, when you get those off the top part of the stick and Bobrovsky got one. So, you know, maybe it's good positioning and then he knew it was there or whatever, but I think that's just like sheer luck where Pasnak had him beat and it's in the top corner. If it doesn't, doesn't hit Bobrovsky's stick. I, and I want to go to the last five minutes of regulation in game seven, because I think there were a lot of missed opportunities in that five minute span. Um, so with 412 left, Orlov hit the pipe. That would have probably sealed the win, would have been a two-goal lead. Um, uh, with about two minutes left, Florida pulls a goalie. You have an empty net situation. If you can just somehow find a way to put one into the empty net, series is over. Game seven doesn't go to overtime. You don't lose. You don't, you don't, you're not dealing with a you know 59 second left Montour goal in regulation and you're not forced into overtime. You're able to finish it in regulation. If a few of these things happen differently for you, or you handle these last five minutes of regulation differently in game seven. So um, it, there was a game of inches in those last five minutes as well. I remember um, just some close chances and them at times playing too defensively once they had that one goal lead, but that Orloff shot off the pipe was one that I recall and one that he brought up in the exit interviews. Um, and just 
if they had just been able to find a way to get that, like an empty net goal, or even to just make an extra clear, like out of the zone, we're, we're talking about killing off the six on five with the extra attacker. And we're not talking about overtime and we're not talking about uh, what happened in the Bruins. How did they uh, find a way to blow a three, one series lead? Yeah. I feel like that extra attacker situation, like that's, it's kind of been overlooked and like those situations are always kind of chaotic, but yeah, just their, their total inability to like to get the puck back and even get clears. It was, you know, Again, it, like it's tough, right? You're facing a team literally fighting for its for its life, like doing everything it can. But yeah, you know this Bruins team and like how good they've been defensively all year. You you expect a clear at some point there, and just never happened. Like they really just never even had the chance. Honestly, they're just sort of hanging on for dear life, and that's it's not what you want to be doing in that situation. You want to be a little bit more in control. And, you know, I think Florida just came at them too, too fast and they really weren't, weren't able to handle it. Yeah. The Orloff hitting the post. I forgot all about that one. That was definitely would have, would have ended things right then and there most likely. And forgive me if you guys mentioned this, but didn't they have a power play in a third period too, after taking the, the lead? Did you guys mention that? We didn't mention it, but yeah. That's yeah, I mean, that's that's a missed opportunity. But yeah, it's just the second Pasternak gave him the lead in the third period, they just, for the most part, they 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 played on their heels and they 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 played to preserve the lead as opposed to playing for the win, right? Or what's the saying? They, you played not to lose as opposed to playing to win. So that was that was pretty apparent, and you kind of you get what you deserve in that situation. All right, so uh, I think we answered that one. Uh, kind of want to go actually we didn't save this one for our other recording because we're gonna we want to get a little bit more into do you want to get into this now or not uh going around the nhl a little bit what other teams choked so far uh through the first two rounds of the playoffs we might as well because i think this one's kind of quick honestly okay well at least for me maybe (laughs) you guys have other ideas but yeah so what other teams choked i mean Bruins are clearly the biggest by far. That they, they were the only ones who have blown a three-one lead so far. Um, I think you you could maybe say the Rangers, who are up two nothing on the Devils, winning two on the road, and then end up losing that series. That's that's a pretty tough look, you know, especially with everything they did at the deadline as well. Um, you know, they probably feel like that's that's pretty close to a choke. Um, that was really the only other one that stood out. Like there hasn't. I've really been a lot. I mean, you could maybe say Colorado. I think they were up, they were up like two one in that series, maybe. But um, you know, as it turned out, like Seattle, Seattle was a good team all year. They limped a little bit down the stretch, but you know, I don't know. Colorado was a little banged up. They clearly weren't the team that they were last year. So maybe you could save them. You know, defending Cup champs going out in the first round, but. That Seattle team, you know, that ends up taking Dallas to game seven and misses out and getting to the conference finals by one goal. So um, I don't really view that as a choke. You know, Maple Leafs, like, they're just overmatched. Like, I, I don't I don't know if that's a choke so much as a series that they were, were basically never even in, honestly. Like, Florida just controlled that series right from the start. So I don't, I don't really think you can call that a choke. Yeah, it's tough. The Rangers, you want to call it potentially a choke, but at the end of the day, they lost. They lost a series to a team that had a 
they were higher than them in the standings. So it's it's they play their matchup against a really solid New Jersey team. The Oilers, you want to sit there and say they choked another possibility away with McDavid and and Drysaddle, but they lost in six games to the number one seed in the West. And Vegas is a better all around team. You take away McDavid and Drysaddle, and I mean Edmonton's just they're just not they're okay, but they're not great. Uh, Colorado, you mentioned Seattle, like they, they play hard. You saw them play here in Boston and. Was it Boston's best night? No, but it, it was a good indication of how Seattle can play. And, um, yeah, there's – I mean, Tampa Bay, they didn't choke against Toronto. They they played a lot of hockey. That was bound to happen. Toronto, look, when, when Florida beats Boston, you can't call them losing to Florida a choke. So, in my opinion, only one team really choked this year, and it was Boston. Okay. And then, so, I guess maybe more you would say would be an – upset for toronto than a choke yeah. that's that's yes but that's it's even then it's 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 tough because you florida just they just did what they did to boston so when 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 toronto wins their first round since 2004 i yeah i guess you could call it an upset based on the standings but recent memory florida beating them really wouldn't be an upset in most people's eyes. Yeah. I think falling behind three Oh was an upset. Like I at least expected that to be a competitive series and yeah. you know, to, to lose the first two at home and then go down three, nothing. It's like that. I didn't see coming. The Leafs should have been more competitive than that. I know, I know the Panthers have been rolling and they had all the momentum in the world and all that, but like, I, I do think, you know, there's still an awful lot of finger pointing going on in Toronto and, and, deservedly so like lots of questions for them to answer um you know and saw like kyle dubas their general manager hasn't fully committed to next season yet he's like gonna take some time might not even be his decision anyways um you know are they gonna split up their quote-unquote core four like does someone get traded there william nylander would probably be the most likely one like it's um yeah i think when you go out like as weekly as they did, you know, gentlemen sweep style. Like there's a lot of questions, but it wasn't, wasn't really a choke. It was probably just, I don't know, an underachievement and disappointment, just a, a total letdown after, you know, finally winning a round. All right. So um, we've actually only gone through a few of these and we've already gone quite a while. Um, so the next two questions are to do with coaching. Um, a lot of the comments we got after game seven are related to coaching. Um, we kind of got to one earlier as well. So this comment was um, Montgomery should be fired for being a scared coach goalie hurt, changing up the lineup over and over again. The question was, is it an overreaction to already be saying Montgomery is not the right guy to lead the Bruins to a Stanley cup? Um, yeah, I think it is an overreaction. Like he, he obviously didn't have a good series that, you know, we've covered that on past podcasts, all everything we, we thought he got wrong, everything that's fair to question him about. And a lot of it absolutely is fair. Like there's plenty to criticize Jim Montgomery for in this series. He was pretty hard on himself in his, you know, exit interview and end of season press conference. Um, but I would point out that like 
this is someone whose track record over the course of his career is really good. He won in the USHL right away, won a championship, got to two Frozen Fours at Denver, wins a national championship. His one full season in Dallas gets him to the second round of the playoffs. You know, big improvement over the year before. Um, they were off to a good start a second year before he obviously got fired. Uh, St. Louis improved under him. Um, you know, after they had taken like a bit of a disappointing step back after the Stanley cup year. So, and then obviously what he did in the, like in the regular season this year, that, that shouldn't be ignored. Like he had this team playing really good hockey and pushed a lot of right buttons. And then it, all crashed and burned in the playoffs. So like, yes, some criticism is fair, but the idea that like he's in over his head or he can't win or, you know, he's not the right guy to lead them going forward. I think, I think that's one where like, I get the emotional passionate response to what you just saw, but like take a deep breath for like a couple months this summer and like regroup a little, because I think that's probably Probably a bit unfair. I think Jim Montgomery is a really good coach who who made some mistakes. I also think that would be an overreaction. I think, obviously, you have to give the guy an opportunity to, to, to show that he's learned, right? I mean, back in 2009, you could say the Bruins lost to a less talented Carolina team with Claude Julien behind the bench. And then the following year, they, they blow a 3-0 series lead against Philadelphia. So if people were rash about Claude Julien not coming back in 2011 – Maybe you don't win the Stanley Cup. And by the way, they're one goal away from losing game seven in round one to Montreal. And maybe he would have been fired after that. But you got to give a guy an opportunity to learn. What I didn't like about Montgomery is I just think he needs to not be such a good cop. And you guys have heard me say this before, but I hated the comments after game six. I don't even care if he was trying to play Kate to the media. But to lose to lose a closeout game six to five on the road after having two leads in the third period and to come out into the uh, at, at the podium and say – you know what? What a great hockey game. And just like smiling. It's like, no, buddy, that's that's not that's not what this team needs right now. So I'm not saying that's what he was saying to his team behind closed doors, but I just think there needs to be a little bit less of a less of a buddy buddy approach with the players and just you know, you can be that guy, but I just think there are some adjustments he needs to make. Some not over not over complicating his lineup. Just go with go with your gut, go with, with what's gotten you to where you've where you've been. Uh, don't overthink things. Don't be such a you know, psychiatrist for the players and massage their shoulders all the time. So there's a couple of changes I think he can make going forward that would benefit him and the team. But no, I don't think they should get rid of him because of, you know, this spring. It's, I mean, it's very obviously an overreaction to say to fire the head coach of a team that has the, the new record for wins in the NHL after his first year. It's, you know, the sample size of playoffs was seven games. Um, and it was not, the result that he should have gotten with his team. And it's fair to criticize uh, his handling of a, a lot of different parts of the series and how he had a roster this good and couldn't find a way to make it out of the first round. But I guess in or- it, just to push this a little bit into, you know, less of a black and white kind of question, um, it, it makes, I think it made a lot of people think, is he the guy – does he have what it takes to, say, in the next five years, um, is he the right style of coach? You know, does he have what it takes to get whatever the Bruins have, whatever the ro- roster the Bruins may have now going forward, which, by the way, 
this was the best team he was going to have. So now if he's going to lead the team to a Stanley Cup, it's going to be with fewer pieces. Maybe that'll help him simplify it. Um, but I guess maybe to push it a little further, does he have what it takes to, in the next five years, lead the Bruins to a Stanley Cup? Um, obviously, they're not going to ditch him yet. But well, to answer, to go a little uh, further. So I don't know about it. I don't know about a Stanley cup because that's going to depend on how this retool goes and what the roster looks like over the next few years. But one thing I will be really interested in with Montgomery is, you know, when they hired him, like one of the things Cam Neely and Don Sweeney talked about as, you know, part of what they liked about him is uh, they felt like, you know, he works well with younger players and he'll help develop them more. And, you know, I guess, we probably saw a little bit of that this year. Um, you know, Trent Frederick definitely took a step forward. He's on the younger side. He's not a rookie, obviously. You know, Jake DeBrusque is still young-ish, and he took a step forward. Um, you know, Jacob Lauko looked good when he got opportunities. So, like, you saw a little bit of that, but for the most part, this was a very veteran-heavy roster. So, you didn't. he didn't have, like, a ton of opportunities to really – develop younger players, I guess maybe you could say like Jacob Zaborl was, you know, possibly a disappointment in that respect. He just didn't use him. He just didn't play. Like he was on the roster all year, but he didn't really get an opportunity. So maybe you could say he didn't really develop him or, you know, how do you develop a guy if he's not going to play? So, um, but going forward, like we're going to have to see that because they're going to have to get younger. You know, they can't, we've covered it. Like they can't afford to keep everyone. So there's going to be turnover. Um, and yeah, I'd say, especially like towards the bottom of the roster, you're going to have to give some guys from Providence a chance. So how he does with that, I think will be interesting. That's part of the reason they told us that's part of the reason why they hired him. And he's obviously done that. He's worked in the USHL. He's worked in college. Like he has experience developing younger players. He, when he was at Denver, he sent some guys, to the NHL, you know, Danton Heinen among them coming to the Bruins. Um, so I think, you know, that'll be interesting. And I think that's where he can show, you know, some real chops besides just, oh, can he win a cup, which was obviously the goal this year. You know, I think other goals surface if there's a bit of a retool and he'll be tested in different ways. I would agree with that, Bridget. I think we're probably good to move on to the next question if we wanted to finish up here. Yeah, sorry. Um, someone just started cutting their lawn next to me, so I had my mic muted. I hope you can't hear it. Um, this is probably what we're going to end with because um, one last coaching question. Uh, so Montgomery is up for the Jack Adams, and he's the favorite to win it. Um, but is he really the best coach in the NHL this season? I mean, this is a cop-out answer, but I kind of feel like the best coach in the NHL is the one who hoists the Stanley Cup at the end of the season. Right. <laughs> I think I think that's when the most adjustments come into play. I think that's when you're game planning against four teams for two months for seven game series. I think that's when you that's that's when you earn that that title. Regular season awards are what they are, um, but I think you know when when the when the biggest prize in, in the industry is is won in June. Uh, the regular season award doesn't really tell me who the best coach is. Now, obviously the best team has a play in that, but I think, I think the guy who wins the cup is probably the best coach in the league at the, at the end of that year. Yeah. And I think it, like best coach is also extremely dependent on situations. Like I don't, 
it, you know, I don't really think that like there's anyone in the NHL right now who's like the Bill Belichick or Phil Jackson has just like this long track record of winning a ton of championships or Scotty Bowman to use an NHL example. Like that coach isn't in the league right now. So, you know, you look around and it's like, all right, like look at the Western conference finals. It's Bruce Cassidy against Pete DeBoer, both in their first years with new teams, two guys who are undeniably great coaches who've had success have won a lot of games wherever they've been. But and we touched on the Cassidy thing on the last podcast. Like, I think, you know, I think he had run his course in Boston. Like, I think his voice had grown stale and it it wasn't the right situation for him anymore. So would he, you know, like, is Bruce Cassidy a better coach now in Vegas than he was in Boston? I'm sure he learned and, and grew, like, no question. I think coaches get, learn and try to get better every year. Um, but it's just a better situation because, like, Vegas was a team that needed his voice where his voice was going to make an impact and have an effect on those players. Whereas in Boston, if his voice is losing that effect and guys are tuning it out or don't like the way he's delivering messages anymore, like, well, then is he really the best coach for Boston? You know, like not like if guys aren't responding, then whether the coach is doing what he's supposed to do or not, then like, that's just not a great situation to have. It was a same, you know, Pete DeBoer got fired in Vegas. Like he had been a great coach there, but they obviously want to change. They felt like he wasn't the right guy anymore. So, you know, who like who's the best coach in the league? It's like Mike Sullivan has the rings. You know, he has three of them, but Pittsburgh missed the playoffs this year. So, like, is Mike Sullivan not a good coach anymore? Like, no, of course he is, but he couldn't save that team this year. Um, Rod Brendamore, obviously highly regarded as a great coach hasn't made it to a cup final yet has been in Carolina for a while now has had some playoff disappointments on his resume. So it's all dependent on the situation. And I guess, you know, I would say like, is Jim Montgomery the best coach in the league? Probably not, but like he's up there. I mean, he's, he's a good coach. Like I don't, I don't question that. All right, so the, the finalists this year are Jim Montgomery, Lindy Ruff, and Dave Haxtall, just in case um, people didn't know who the other coaches are that are up for the award. Um, once again, I'm sorry, somebody just started – I don't know if you can hear it. Like, we can't really hear it, so. Okay, well, that was our last question anyway for today. We're going to have another um, mailbag next week as well, and some of the questions we have that we didn't get to that we'll get to then are about – Bergeron's injury, um, a lot of people are asking about will he need surgery um, and just different things about a few of the Bruins' injuries, um, future of the Bruins, and potential trades were some of the questions we did not get to that we can get to um, in our next mailbag segment and whatever uh, else anyone wants to send in. By the way, just to wrap up the, the Jack Adams discussion, Montgomery is going to win, though, because yeah. when you – when you break all those regular season records, it's a regular season award. So playoffs have no impact. All the votes were already done uh, before the playoffs started. So he will win. Yes. Yeah. yeah but the, the, the question was, um, it was beyond the award. So we tried to give a little more objectively. He's going to win. Yes. Yeah. Do we, do we really think he is? I think Scott, I think you put it pretty accurately. He, he's probably not right. And, but he, but he definitely, well, certainly not playoff coach at this point but if we're talking regular season coaches he's clearly among you know 
yeah, he's up there. He's he's a top tier coach in the regular season. Hopefully that translates to the postseason next year. So, uh, Bridget and Scott, unless you have anything else to go over in this this episode, I think we'll probably wrap it up. Yeah, fingers on the dial. All good. All right, all right. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you soon.